Hello, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With me this week, we have Andy. Hello. And Jera. Hello, little one. <laughs> oh, Jera, you're like the Luxwana Troy of this podcast, I think. Thanks. In the sense that you're wise and knowing and kind of motherly to us all. Yeah, I just can't rock those dresses. I'm not even sure she could sometimes. <laughs> All right, before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit www.patreon.com forward slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, news... This is exciting. As of today, if you oh, this have, is exciting. Yeah, if you have an Amazon Echo, you can direct it to play our podcast by saying Alexa or whatever you've named your Amazon Echo. Uh, enable Women at Warp, and it will uh, play our latest episode or offer you the opportunity to uh, skip forward and back through the catalog. So, yay! How cool slash creepy is that? It's like we'll be in your house. Definitely. And uh, we posted a video of it on our social media. So uh, you can check that out if you want a a sort of tutorial. Next, we're going to conquer the DJ Roomba market. (laughs) It's a slow moving market, but we think it's got potential. And then after that, we're getting our own Netflix special. Yeah. Then the world. That basically was the world. It's a multi-step plan. World is endgame. Netflix special is high up on the tail end of the list. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's 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 endgame adjacent, definitely. Yeah. So today we are going to be talking about the mother of all Star Trek topics. That is Lexwana Troy. Now let's, now let's take a little minute here and see if anyone can off the top of their head remember her full title. And then we'll look it up and see who got closest to it. I can't. Something about the Chalice of Ricks. Yeah. Yes. Holder of the Sacred Chalice of Ricks. Mm-hmm. Keeper of the... Nine holy rings of Beta Z, daughter of the fifth house. Oh, you got you got it all, but out of order. Tell us what it is. <laughs> Luxwana Troy, daughter of the fifth house, holder of the sacred chalice of Rix, heir to the holy ring, holy rings of Beta Z, and eventually ambassador to Beta Z. Someone needs to make a mnemonic of this. <laughs> I'm betting someone already has. I mean, considering the pre. And early internet years, and they couldn't Google this stuff as easily as we could. I'm sure someone has a handy mnemonic device. If not, we're open to crowdsourcing it from our listeners. Yep. Or a flashcard set. Either <laughs> A flashcard set, baby's first memorization of all of the titles of Star Trek. Yes. You know Baby Deanna had one. <laughs> baby's guide to fictional politicians. Is the Chalice of Ricks actually just like a baby toy? Don't they say in one episode it's like an old vase or something? It's an old wooden cup or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like there's one where Deanna's like, mother, like the ch- and the chalice of Reeks is an old something. <laughs> so is the Holy Grail. It could be the Holy Grail <laughs> of Beta Z. We don't know. We're yes. not here to judge them culturally or religiously. Yes. That's not our game, man. That's not our game. Except for naked weddings might be your game, in which case, cool. No judgment. That's you. More power on you. Don't invite people who are very clearly not going to be comfortable with it. Or let them know what to expect ahead of time. Yeah. Just just keep an even keel there. So anyway, for those of you who somehow haven't sussed it out yet, Luxwana Troy is the character who is the mother of Counselor Deanna Troy on mostly Star Trek The Next Generation and a few episodes of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yes. Yes. Does anyone else have anything they want to add to that description there? No, except for I did just confirm that the Sacred Chalice of Reeks is an old clay pot with mold growing inside of it. That doesn't make it not important. Jarrah. It could be sacred yeah. mold. Yeah, it's probably very ancient. It could be valuable. I mean, you don't know. Deanna. <laughs> Self-loathing Beta Zed there. Beta Zoid. <laughs> if I am asked to explain 
looks on a Troy to somebody who is not a Trekkie, I describe her as the space anti-mame. Mm-hmm. The space anti-mame is pretty apt. She is loud, she is flamboyant, and a snappy dresser. And you wouldn't be totally caught off guard if she burst into song. Yeah, and they, they created her with that brief, basically. That was essentially Gene Roddenberry's uh, pitch of the character to Magel Barrett, who played the character. It's like, yeah, you, I got a role for you, and you, do, you don't have to act. <laughs> Sweet gig, right? You get to wear giant wigs, you don't have to actually act, and people treat you like you're a space queen. I guess if Auntie Mame is like outside your cultural reference frame... Then you're deprived, <laughs> for one thing. She definitely starts out as sort of a stereotypical overbearing mother-in-law, although as we will talk about, that that uh, evolves. But she's also a telepath. And uh, she's also, in addition to meddling in her daughter's business, very interested in, in men. She a flirt, which is apparently a thing that societally we're told older women aren't supposed to be. With older guys, that's just natural. With older women, it's uncomfortable. <laughs> that was my, that stupid and whiny voice. <laughs> so um, to start off with the character, as we've already described her, the phrase stereotypical mother-in-law comes up. Why don't we address off the, just right off the bat, a few reasons why a lot of people really dislike this character. And that being chiefly one of them is one of the excuses I've seen people bring up before that they don't like just the naggy older woman concept with her. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our listeners had comments about especially the first time watching. Mm -hmm. I found her really annoying, especially like people watching as kids. Yeah, we had uh, and especially in her early episodes and listener Benjamin said his impression of her in the early episodes was quote the stereotypical crazy sitcom mom turned up to 11 <laughs> but uh, a lot of people's opinions evolved later on but yeah there's a lot of I think resentment about older women taking up space absolutely especially like in like white western society feeling like your parents should just get out of the way and let you live your lives and you know the idea of having your mom turn up and flirt with your boss is uh would be like pretty embarrassing yeah there's definitely an endora factor to her of her sort of main purpose in showing up is to be loud over dramatic and to emasculate the male characters there and a lot of people just instantly you know dislike that yeah and and again this is something that we are taught to view rather differently with male characters who do similar things like if an old we have this recurrent trope of older men showing up and you know hitting on everything that moves and we're just like oh that old dog but if a woman does it it's we're it's treated as just creepy and impossible to deal with yeah, like, oh, the outrageous Akana, that yeah. dude was sure charming and handsome. I mean, specifically uh, with, like, father characters, with older men, we're taught yeah. that being kind of a hound and a scoundrel is just a charming thing. But with, with women, we see it barely represented. And, and when we do see it, it's treated as this kind of ick factor. Yeah. I think it's also just like, you know, the age of the audience member that sometimes it's easier to put yourself, you know, as someone who's not been older than my current age, uh, watching Star Trek, <laughs> easier to put myself in the shoes of the main crew members than their parents. Yeah, I know. This is the oldest I've ever been. Yeah, but I mean, we, we've we also heard from uh, in uh, we, our episode we did about Majel Barrett, the first lady of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. talked about how she got a lot of really positive feedback from middle-aged women yeah. watching this show because they could really relate to her and thought it was awesome that she was brash and just doesn't take any shit. I recently had my mother and most of my aunts enter middle age all within a couple of years of each other and the massive consensus I've heard from all of them is that like as soon as you become a middle-aged woman people expect you to just kind of fade into the background. You are ignored. You are just looked at like you're a freak of nature if you so much as raised your voice in public, even if it's to get someone's attention. And she, I mean, I think it's a, a testament, though, the fact that they did keep bringing her back shows that there was a bit, um, if not like people who, I'm sure there were people who like wholeheartedly loved the character, but then also people who just thought that she was fun or like a fun foil for some of the like stuffier Next Generation crew. Definitely. If 
if she is a character trope, then she proves that that's a foil that people have liked seeing. And and we mustn't discount the fact that she was married to the executive producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From a writing perspective, she's a way to push boundaries mm-hmm. and push characters out of their comfort zone. Yeah. I can see why writers would have wanted her to come back because she gives them a starting point. She definitely, most of the time we see her act as a blocking character, and a lot of the time we automatically assume that blocking, uh, assume characters who are blocking as being antagonistic, mm-hmm. for one thing. It's, it's, it's fun to see more straightforward and stiff characters like, say, Picard or Worf have to deal with her. It's, it's pretty funny. That said, you can probably tell really clearly that we like this character a lot, and so did a lot of our listeners from the comments we gathered. So we wanted to just elaborate a little bit on what we like about the character and what people seem to positively take from her, aside from interesting and well-rounded portrayal of an older woman in a position of authority, no less. Well, I mean, that that kind of sums it up. But, um... <laughs> Got in one! I like that she is really kind of brazen and funny Mm -hmm. like Mr. Wolf and (laughs) you know like on the one hand I you know I realize that you know she's a telepath she knows she's making people uncomfortable she likes making people uncomfortable that isn't necessarily like a positive trait or like a healthy trait but it works I think because you know that she is like mischievous and deep down she's a good person and that if anyone actually was like comfortable enough to tell her that like they'd like her to stop that she would yeah it's more about her testing people's uh politeness boundaries of who's willing to tell her to stop yeah and and, like her culture is obviously way way more liberal yeah naked to say the least sexual open-minded one might say yeah so like she she doesn't i think take that as seriously as as we would take it like it, just, it's helpful to people to be more open and as we mentioned earlier she gets some wild ass outfits and what's not to love there according to robert blackman the costumer for a lot of the star trek series is lixwana was the character that he just really got to have fun with because nothing was too big or over the top Mm -hmm. and uh also she's got mr hom who's pretty fun mr hom yeah more people more characters just need manservants valet her valet i i never remember his name i always think of him as lurk same actor so why not uh armin shimmerman's head in a box what in haven the, oh my god you're right box, that which is the only non-ferengi role he's ever played oh my gosh do you think he puts that on his resume probably <laughs> head in box 1988 i mean he stole that scene that's true well yeah I mean, it's Armin Shimmerman. So should we talk about Haven a little bit? Let's! <laughs> first appearance? Let's talk about it. Who wants to summarize the episode for us? <laughs> so tr- we can all try. We have arranged marriage is on Beta Z. Uh, this is season one. What? And uh, Troy is engaged to marry this human guy named Wyatt, who's got really, really supple hair. And <laughs> it's... It's very Danielle Steele novel yeah. cover looking. Yeah. And she's totally going to quit Starfleet and marry this dude. And then, and like his parents are on board and her parents are on board. And there's like, you know, meet the parents type sitcom situation. Comedy gold, don't you know? But then like one disappointed because he's been like dreaming of this lady that one of our commenters referred to as his white snake video dream girl. <laughs> And uh, oh, that's apt. And he thought it was Deanna, but then when he met Deanna, it was a different woman. You're not blonde. But then through like telepathy, they meet. They meet the blonde lady. Yeah, and he goes off with her. If we're talking about badass outfits, you can't get much better than whatever that was. Yeah, <laughs> it's not even. What would you even call that? It's not quite a crop top. Like, both her stomach and her shoulders are completely bare. I think that makes it a bandage top. Okay. Yeah. Let's go for that. And Loxana has, like, a 
an a pet snake plant thing, <laughs> which is awesome. And it's basically like Dharma and Greg. <laughs> Gosh. His parents are super stuffy. She's embarrassing everyone. She's hitting on Picard. A lot of our listeners weren't really super fond of this. It's it's a pretty bad episode. And it does play into a ton of tropes. Yeah. Like, there are many that you see just coming a mile away. Yeah. But uh, listener Anne said, I thought she was presented pretty well. She was funny, over the top, and embarrassed the hell out of the captain, which I enjoyed. But she also showed she could be serious and thoughtful when Wyatt, that's uh, the, the guy with the nice hair, came to her for help about his white snake video dream girl. Oh, good Lord. You got to appreciate the different levels of hair quality throughout the years, just purely represented by Star Trek alone. Mm -hmm. So we have our introductory episode there. Uh, Can anyone give us a brief refresher on the next episode on our list, Manhunt? I mean, if you don't mind me going again, I did just watch this. Go for it. Go for it. Which is, oh man, this is a slow episode. It's very slow. They're delivering these Fishman delegates to their planet diplomats and uh, for a summit. And uh, one of them is Mick Fleetwood. They've got awesome costumes. They're called the Antideans. Again, can we just go back and do and acknowledge that one of them is Mick Fleetwood? Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh! Dressed up like Jiffy Pop. Yes. <laughs> He's like a Jiffy Pop with a fish head on top. Amazing. Fish on top, Jiffy Pop. It's amazing. Amazing. Uh, that right there is the high point of the episode. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Loaxan is there because she is also a diplomat and she mm-hmm. is also really jonesing for a guy. <sighs> She's on the prowl. And so she is trying to hit on Picard hard. Yeah, she's, like, setting up, saying that she's organizing diplomatic dinners, but then only inviting Picard and trying to make it a romantic dinner. So Picard basically takes off and goes and hides in the Dixon Hill program. That's what I would do. And not a lot else really happens until the very end. Well, meanwhile, like, Loxanne is hitting on Riker, hitting on Worf. She is having a full Katie Oslin moment. Younger men are catching her eye. Yeah, the best part is when she basically tells Wesley, like, he's not mature enough. <laughs> well, he isn't. Thank God. <laughs> and Wesley Nobody's that hard up. Talking about. <laughs> I'm a child! So naive. Jordy hasn't talked to him about glands yet. Loxana <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh basically accepts that no one's gonna go out with her, and she... Also uncovers that the fishmen are going to blow up the summit and thwarts the plot. You summarized the episode so much better than I would have. I would have quit at McFleetwood Fishman. <laughs> that's yeah. really, that's the high point. It really is. That and the reveal at the end of Lixwana getting to go, oh, and obviously these guys are assassins. Get them out of here. <laughs> I just love her flippancy about it. Yeah. But yeah, we don't, other than uh, being flirty and making people uncomfortable, she doesn't actually do much this episode does she aside from catching assassins at the very end no uh she mostly she's proposing to Riker and going around telling everyone Riker's gonna marry her I do think it's cute when she ends up in the hollow suite and or holodeck and the characters in the hollow novel think that she's like Picard's sugar mama (laughs) and they're they're all like trying to trying to dance with her and stuff because they know that she's wealthy (laughs) and then uh like she can't read their minds and doesn't realize they're holograms and so she's like really entranced with them and just like oh this is so refreshing why doesn't diana invite her to like holodeck mother-daughter parties more often that would be so Um, fun for them to do oh that sounds horrible for diana Horrible for your Deanna, but fun for Luxwana. Yes. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, have, I don't find this one even as interesting as Haven. So it's a bit of a challenge. And I, I can't help but like feel really uncomfortable by this, the amount of pressure she's putting on like doggedly pursuing Picard and later Riker. Um, I feel like it goes beyond just like momentary discomfort and is so more than I would like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier about how it's more socially acceptable for 
older men to be kind of like hardy har. Yeah. But I don't know if that's always true. Like, if we had a male character, I I would probably I and I don't hesitate to call it sexual harassment as it stands. Yeah. But it would probably be way more. It would feel way more uncomfortable and feel way more predatory. I think. Of if course. If it was yeah. a man and mm-hmm. not a woman. A hundred percent. Like you know, when she first uh, comes on in this episode, and at the end, she goes like, "Oh, Sean Luke, like." how um like clear away those naughty thoughts or whatever so she's basically like pretending she's reading his mind and that he's thinking dirty things about her to like all of his subordinates and stuff and even though you know like he is not totally disempowered he can't really say anything because she's a diplomat in this situation it's not even like even where it's like my my subordinate's mom this is also the one where she checks out his shapely calves, right? Yes. Yes. Lest we forget. I mean, they are shapely. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, in those tights, too. <laughs> yeah, like, so I love she's an older one with the sexuality, but it it is definitely worth uh, reflecting on, like, just those gender double standards. and Definitely. If it, you're totally right, if it was, like, a super old diplomat creeping on, like coming on board and claiming like he was reading Captain Janeway's mind and she wanted to sleep with him. Like that would seem pretty, like really gross. Mm-hmm. It would probably get treated as comedy still though. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. The way it's presented with Luxana is always comedic. And I think part of n- not just a gendered issue, but part of the reason that it works is because she is such a excellent comedic actor. Yeah. Because it genuinely is funny so often that you don't really, most of the time you're like forgiving it in your mind, um, even mm. though it's not really acceptable behavior. Yep. Our next episode is one that people tend to remember a lot more, <laughs> I would say, Menage Troy. Ah, uh, uh, yes. The one where Deanna and Luxwana get uh, kidnapped by Ferengi and are you know, forced to wear wacky outfits, and then Picard quotes Shakespeare at them. A lot happens in this episode. Yeah, it's not boring. Nope. I've always found the Ferengi part of this episode extremely uncomfortable. Yeah, because again, it's going off of this early idea of, well, both this early idea of what the Ferengi are, and this idea that these guys who are taking women, you know, as as things is is still laughably funny in its backwardness and it's just uncomfortable and creepy. Yeah, and the fact that Luxwana's play is to like use sex. Yeah. I, I get that. Yeah. And it's not even really a bad plan, but it's super creepy. Yeah. And I mean, you can't really say that she can consent because she can't get away. So yeah. even yeah. though she's, like, enthusiastically, like, deciding that she's going to play them, mm-hmm. it's still coercive because she is a prisoner. So, yeah. meh. I would say that the two things I like about this episode are the very beginning, which is very romantic Riker and Troy shenanigans. Yes. <laughs> I love how you describe their romance as shenanigans. Well, it is. And then <laughs> at the very end... With the absolutely iconic legend, Patrick Stewart, doing Shakespeare. Yeah. To to try and convince the Ferengi captain that he and Luxwan are in a relationship. That really is, though, a master class. Yeah. It is a hysterical scene. Yeah. Because there are so many layers of, like, what he's conveying in that. It's, like, actually well done Shakespearean, like sonneting but then like also the amount of like oh god i gotta sell this did they ever actually establish that picard was in a theater program or something in school because i feel like they need to establish that for it to make full sense well and you know there's always kind of a nudge nudge wink wink when they make patrick stewart doing anything shakespearean and they do make him do it a lot and it's kind of it's it's fun to me it's like here we got this badass Shakespearean actor 
and we put him in your space show. Have fun. <laughs> we made him wear a onesie. Enjoy! <laughs> <sighs> but yeah, I mean, that this episode's worth it alone for that. Also, fun fact on the first scene that I found out when I was researching for this episode is that on the TNG Season 3 Blu-ray, uh, Ronald D. Moore says that he remembered Gene Roddenberry performed a rewrite on Menage a Troy and added a questionable description of fruit during the picnic scene on Beta Z. He says, Mrs. Troy reaches into the picnic basket and brings out an oscoid, which is a long cylindrical piece of fruit with veins going down the side and offers it to Riker to take a bite. Wow, <laughs> Lord. Uh, I mean, I know it's supposed to be have like kind of a bedroom comedy thing going on there, but... Yeah, it would have been super weird. I'm glad it didn't happen. <laughs> Dude, no! Yes. Dial it back a couple notches. Just a few. It would have been totally in character, but... <laughs> Oh my gosh. <sighs> Why not just give it a totally phallic name, too, while you're at it? I mean, mm. if you're going to make up a name for it and put it in the script. Spore. A penisoid. A palace. <laughs> <laughs> An eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies. All right. Our next episode goes in a much more serious direction with Half a Life. And help me, I'm I'm going to try and summarize this best I can. This is the episode where Luxwana meets and falls in love with a scientist only to find out when he reaches a certain age, his people commit ritual suicide, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was trying to remember if that was the one to connect with this title because Cost of Living and Half a Life both sound like they could be the titles to that episode. Mm-hmm. This one is, this one's a heady one, and you wouldn't expect that for um, for a character feature episode with a character like Luxwana, would you? No, and many, many of our listeners said that this was their favorite Loxana episode, and the one that changed the way they see the character. It's my favorite Loxana episode. Um, I also just love David Odgen. David Ogden Steers and Magil Barrett have excellent chemistry in that this episode and they work off of each other very well and it showcases both of them as actors so nicely. I always cry in the scene where he's explaining to her that he loves her but it's not and then she's like but it's not enough you like you have to go do what you're I understand that you're telling me you have to go do what your people expect of you. Mm, This episode's really good guys. Yeah. And again, with a ca- with a character like Luxwana, as soon as you know she's in the episode, you don't expect it to be a serious one, do you? No. And I mean, even at the beginning, it's like, oh, there's Luxwana showing up with their new boyfriend kind of thing. So mm-hmm. yeah, you do. Th- and I mean, there's still moments of humor in it, but um, like she's deeply in love with this guy. He's really in love with her and he loves her passion for life. And it's kind of, I think it does a good job of, of bringing back to that theme about how like people who are older than the average cast member of a Star Trek show have a lot to offer. And this episode sends a big message about that. It's a tragedy when people are sort of put out to pasture before they've been able to bring their, all that they have to offer to their society. Definitely. Which fits right in with the theme of this episode. Yeah. Meta. Yeah. Meta, meta. Uh, so after we get this very serious, very emotional Luxwana episode, the next one we get is Cost of Living. Anyone else want to summarize that one? This one's fun. Yeah. It's wacky. Yeah, basically Luxwana is going to marry this dude who's kind of stuffy and he's mad that she wants to do the naked Bajoran, beta Zoid. Naked Betazoid traditional wedding. And she's totally going to go along with what he wants and what his people want. Um, meantime, he meets, or she meets Alexander, who's still kind of like adrift, not really sure where he fits on the ship. And he's sad about his mom and his dad. And Deanna's been sort of helping him, but Loxana kind of takes him away to the mud baths on the holodeck and becomes like his grandma do not take a child to a don't take someone else's child to a mud bath and basically like i need to teach you how to have fun because neither my daughter or wharf is particularly good at that (laughs) this episode is as close as we get to a pretty literal interpretation of the aunt mame and space thing yeah Mm -hmm. on lsd yes but like not good LSD, like bad LSD that makes you like freak out. It's it's grandma's LSD that you found in the back of the freezer. 
It's 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 scary, man. This episode <laughs> scares me. Yeah. There are some really genuinely terrifying and disturbing visuals in this mm-hmm. one. And I'm not even talking about Luxwana in the mud bath. Like I'm talking like just just eerie, creepy shit. Yeah, it's a weird place to go for fun. But I mean, I guess circuses are weird. So it's always weird to see Star Trek try and uh, uh, what am I trying to say? Try and portray whimsical, lighthearted, and fun, and just be really freaking creepy. Yeah, like that disembodied head in like the bubble Mm -hmm. is scary okay (laughs) there are many examples of times when star trek tried to be whimsical and just went straight to terror town i do like parts of this episode though because i like the i like the fact that luxwana is like dealing with her own stuff Mm -hmm. so poorly that she's like well i'm gonna fix alexander because i can't fix me and that is a thing that people do, and that Absolutely. does make sense as being something this character would do. And I always love episodes in which we remember that Worf is a horrible dad. <laughs> <laughs> we won't be forgetting that anytime soon. His best-selling book, Worf's A-plus Parenting. <laughs> Take your kid to a shooting range. Have the safety turned off. Bring in all your friends. Make out with friend. I do like that he's not a good dad like i don't like it in the sense of if it were real it would be bad but i find it very interesting because i don't feel like we see that very often Mm -hmm. like he's a heroic character that we all love who absolutely sucks at parenting and like we're watching him screw up his only child like right (laughs) in front of us and it's like simultaneously like fascinating and horrifying and i just find it really interesting it's like watching a a shuttle crash in slow motion it's like, there are times where he'll say something and I'll just, like, want to throw shit at him. Like, no, bad. <laughs> Read one book. Read one book on parenting. Dr. Spock, he ain't. <laughs> and then also I like that it gives Troy counseling to do, which is something yeah. we yep. always like. And let's be real, Alexander is going to need a lifetime worth of counseling. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. It's so bad. He he simultaneously ignores him and puts so much pressure on him. It's really quite an impressive feat. Yeah. You wouldn't think it'd be possible, but there it is. We've also got a great comment from one of our listeners, Dana, who says about this episode, she gave me one of my most favorite quotes. One of life's true gifts is the capacity to enjoy enjoyment. When people ask me what I'm up to on the weekends, I often say, enjoying enjoyment. I like that. Yeah, and that is such an anti-mame kind of thing because her famous quote is like, live, live, live. Life is a banquet and most poor suckers are starving to death. Like, that (laughs) is Luxana in a nutshell. And that is her whole vibe in this whole episode is just get out there, have fun, and, you know, enjoy your day-to-day life. And I think that's a good message. It's just not one you should, you know... Use on a child without his parental supervision. <laughs> Don't take a child to a mud bath. <laughs> Don't do it, guys. Don't do it. Don't. I know you were tempted and you were planning on it, but we're going to stop you right now. That's a bad idea. Any other kid would have been just like splashing everyone with mud. <laughs> yeah, you're in a tub full of mud. Alexander is such a weird kid. Star Trek has a weird, weird, weird thing with kids. I think we do have to mention, though, the uh, the last scene where she decides to go to her own wedding naked and scandalizes her groom-to-be, and yeah, I like it. It's funny. You can almost hear the monocles dropping. I'm going to yeah. I'm gonna be real, real with you guys. That wink makes me feel things. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so confident and, like, The idea of being able to walk into a room full of people naked and be like, what? It's a great example of how confidence is the sexiest thing anyone can wear. It's so great. It really is. It's it's lovely. I I love that whole scene. That said, being naked and winking at a child is a bad, bad idea. (laughs) So uh, if you're listening, here are two things Women at Warp does not recommend. (laughs) 
<laughs> mud baths with children and winking at them while naked. We support the, the we support the philosophy at work here, not the methods. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think in this context, like it's very clear that you know, like she's it, it's like her body is not sexualized to this kid. It's like this is yeah. just how. This is just how a naked person looks. It's just a it's just a body. I am a firm believer in non-sexualized nudity happening more in the media. Yeah. And uh it's just about like about confidence and showing Alexander to like stick with what your gut tells you is what you want. And also to really think before you get that weird tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> and also don't marry dudes that do not fit you. At all. If someone sees you naked and his first reaction is, oh, bad, bad vibe, mm-hmm. don't do it. But yeah, I know this episode isn't quote unquote good, but I have a soft spot for it. Yeah. It's not necessarily bad. But again, we've got this pattern of, you know, kind of wacky episode. We're going to have a wacky count going for this episode. That's my word of the week. Of a lighthearted episode followed by a really kind of emotional and heavy one with Dark Page. Mm-hmm. Which is my favorite Luxwana episode. But yes, this is this is the one when Luxwana comes to visit Deanna and starts behaving very oddly. And when Deanna tries to read her mind, she finds there's a huge part of her mind that she's just kind of blocked out so she won't have to address. And that's how we find out that Counselor Troy actually had an older sister who passed away when she was just a baby and that her mother is still really traumatized by that Mm -hmm. i just find this episode to be such a great exploration of trauma and also such a great exploration of mothers and daughters and like Mm -hmm. the complicated fraught relationships and history that can build up between them and i also love what that says about luxana's character about like she carries this deep deep pain that, but she's always smiling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I really like this episode. I really appreciate how um, there's this cultural history of vilifying mourning mothers. Like, you see it in just about every one of the old fairy tales. If there's, like, an evil queen, it's because she lost a baby or some crap like that. But with this, we really do see it's not treated as a, how dare you not tell me I had a sister thing. It's a, mom, why didn't you tell me? And it's treated very, very tenderly as it was just too painful for her to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I like how they kind of showed that in a, a cinematic way. Mm-hmm. The way that they're kind of going into Luxana's mind and like mm-hmm. peeling it all back. I just, I just think it's really well. Done. We also get very, very little Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. Yes, of course she she is all she's gonna be adorable until the end of time. She's gonna be an old woman and we're still gonna be like, look at those little cheeks. <laughs> yeah, I love this episode. <laughs> and like someone pointed out in our mentions too that like there there aren't a lot of mother-daughter relationships in Star Trek, and this is really, I think, a high point. Yeah. Especially in the portrayal of mother-daughter relationships as being something that's complicated. It's not purely good it's not purely bad there's a lot of in between and sometimes that means accepting that there were things that your mother wanted to keep from you or there's some things that you weren't ready to address just yet and talking about how sometimes that's what you need to do yeah i mean um i think there's there's definitely some interesting stuff between like tapal and her mom and balana and her mom but i think nothing that really shows the sort of like powerful bond you can have and i don't think we really see the same level of acceptance either between the two characters of this is how you are this is how i am we are what we are you've been driving me crazy for the last seven episodes but (laughs) i still love you yeah so then we get to see luxwana make the jump from series to series we don't even get to see some of the main characters do that so we've got in deep space nine she shows up in the first season episode the forsaken who wants to tell us a little about that one? Luxana turns up on Deep Space Nine and becomes interested in Odo. She decides he's her kind of kind of mucus man. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even know that we need to talk about the entire episode. The really important part is that this was probably the most mentioned favorite Luxana scene for our listeners. Uh, it was the the scene with Luxana and Odo in the turbo lift where he. Mm-hmm 
they're stuck in a turbo lift. He has to go back to his liquid state and he's very uncomfortable about doing that. And she uh, takes off her wig to show him that she also is like hiding vulnerability underneath and lets him puddle in her dress. And such a sweet moment too. It's kind of the high point of the episode. And it's such a high point for the character too, after we establish her as being flamboyant and kind of vain, her just taking this guy who she only kind of knows and just being vulnerable with him because she knows it's what he needs right then. Yeah. And um, just like sort of from a a gender perspective, um, I thought there was an interesting quote in the Star Trek Deep Space Nine companion from Jim Trombetta, who says about Odo, it goes back to the Renaissance and the characters referred to as gentlemen. They had to be hard warriors with a hard shape like armor. There's an anxiety if men become soft, they become helpless, baby-like. Men don't like that. So here that caption works very vividly. Odo's a constable and a very tough guy, but he has to undergo that process and allow someone else to help him. He has no choice. So she literally makes yeah. him man soft. Aww. It carries him in her skirts. <laughs> the acting in this scene is tremendous. Yeah. yeah. From both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we had lots of listeners like Misty and Brandy and, and many others uh, say that this was their favorite Loxana moment, that it showed a whole other side of her, and that it also really helped show Odo's vulnerability. But we also had some listeners who didn't appreciate Loxana's approach to Odo in this episode or um, I think Fascination, the next one. Mm-hmm. Abby said Odo is so clearly uncomfortable with her and she refuses to back off. She follows around declaring they're going to picnic together and doesn't seem to consider his opinion on the, the matter. In the elevator, she does take off her wig to show Odo he can trust her, but it seemed to me that she only did that so he would change his mind about how he felt towards her. Odo was in a bad situation because he needed to become liquid again, and to me it seemed like Waxana was taking advantage of that. So mm. just another another perspective. Hmm. I agree with her when it comes to like the larger problem. With how she kind of pursues Odo, who there, I, I, I remember when I was first time trekking this, there was like screenshots where I was like, if this, if the genders were like switched here, Odo is like leaning as far back as humanly possible. And his whole, all of his body language is incredibly uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. it's just really obvious that he is doesn't enjoy anything that's happening i was totally imagining odo leaning back as far as inhumanly possible because he can do it nope 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 stretching back out of the room yeah exactly but i mean i get that the the thing that the elevator scene i feel like she's sincere Mm -hmm. and i feel like that scene is a good example of why we let her slide on this. Or when I say we, I mean the larger audience usually. Mm-hmm. And that's because like she has a kind heart and like when the chips are down and he really is vulnerable, she like gives him a safe place. But does that excuse his, her other behavior? I don't know that it does. Yeah. I was going to say, and like as someone who wears a wig, I can tell you that like it for me is a really big deal if I'm going to show someone that I don't have hair. So I I tend to read that as like a good faith moment that that was something really difficult to, for her to do that, you know, she isn't going to like, just go up in the middle of ops and take her wig off for everyone that that yeah. was like actually taking a risk of being rejected for what she really looks like and does sort of uh, go a bit of the way to closing that gap between her and Odo. So pedaling back to Luxwana and some kind of uncomfortable behavior, the next episode we have is Fascination, where pretty much Luxwana's magical psychic menopause makes people fall in love with each other. That episode is weird and uncomfortable. I think this is way more uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it's also really weird in the fact that Luxwana is turned into a plot device. Yeah. She doesn't actually get to do a lot else with the episode. She flirts with Odo and causes people to start hitting on each other left and right. This is another one where she's like basically grabbing him and trying to dance with him. And he is like cringing and trying to like not move. And um, I find this one a lot more uncomfortable because you don't see, I don't see any real connection between them in this episode. It's like she 
confronts him, makes him uncomfortable, and then continues to make him uncomfortable through the whole episode. There isn't like an epiphany moment. The whole episode is uncomfortable also. Other than she realizes he's in love with Kira, and then you think she's going to leave him alone. <laughs> but not <laughs> the next episode. My bigger problem with this episode is it feels like they worked backwards from we want to have some weird couples. That's yeah. totally what they did. They, they wanted it to be Midsummer Night's Dream in space. And uh, it doesn't work because it's not saying anything. Yeah. More like a Midsummer Night's Dumb. <laughs> yeah. I said it. Yes. Um, but if we want to pull out the hidden gem from the fact that this episode was made in the original script it didn't make it in Loxana mentions that Admiral Necheyev is quote the sister I never had um, in a conversation where she tells Odo that she found out about his people being the leaders of the Dominion and now I just want my Loxana Admiral Necheyev buddy movie Slash fanfic. What, did, what kind of what do they get up to together? I'm assuming it involves stealing a runabout. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's like Thelma and Louise, except they realize, oh wait, this thing can fly at the very end. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no tragedy. It's it's yeah. all happy. Yes. So, um, Andy, if you want to plug your ears and hum real loud, I can summarize the next episode in one sentence. All right. Go Terrible. for it. Start humming. Start humming. Okay. She's humming. Yeah. Odo Luxwana shotgun wedding. <laughs> Pretty much. That's it. Uh, That's it. A- uh, Andy! Andy! Yeah. You're good. Okay, good. Yeah. I feel like this episode is a really unfortunate last episode for Luoxana that really just does a disservice to this character who's really been pretty much on top of her shit and her plans the whole time. And then, like, has to basically come to Odo looking for help from a situation that she really, like, you can't really believe she would have got involved in after the first attempted marriage of a douche canoe. Yeah, we just really have her as a character kind of backslide uh, for this wacky scenario of the episode. And you don't really believe it, considering the growth we've seen from her. Yeah, and then we're supposed to believe that, like, Odo genuinely loves her at this point. It's weird. I don't just, believe it. I I believe that there is a genuine affection between yeah. the two. Yeah, and he is more talking sort of about like her meaning to him as a as a like a really close friend and someone who's seen him at his most vulnerable and accepted him. But yeah, I just feel like it's really unfortunate that you know she comes there having to be rescued. I really think that there was no intention in writing this episode to be like, this is going to be the last appearance mm-hmm. of this memorable character that a lot of people like. No. We're going to send her out proper. No, no. Just, no. This is how it ends. I'm, I mean, I'm sure they plan to bring her back again and it just didn't happen or they just didn't think of it, but it's just an unfortunate coincidence possibly that that ended up being the last one. Oh, well. Plus that whole other subplot with Jake and the psychic. Yeah, that's hella creepy. Also terrible. Uh, oh, the muse. Space succubus. D- yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. No. But luckily, we got some pretty cool representations of Loxana in the expanded or extended universe. Yeah. One of my favorites is in the novel Q and Law, where Loxana gets endowed with Q-like powers. And Baller! at one point is like literally Q fighting with Q and owns him. <laughs> And it's amazing. So check that one out if you're looking for a good Loxana novel. I know she's also features prominently. She's in the Imzadi novels, I think, at least as a supporting character. And she's also, I'm thinking, the Battle of Beta Zed. Um, but if anyone else has any novel or comic recommendations, you should let us know in the comments. Please, please do. Because we're always ready to spread more love for this character. Okay, now do we each do we each want to share a listener comment? Because we got a lot of listener response for this episode. I mean, I know it was one that people had asked us a couple times if we were going to do. Yeah, I just pulled out some sort of like all around summary comments for people's like overall impressions of Loxana. So we got one from Another Grace. There's more than one. Are you commenting on our podcast, Grace? Not... Like in the unexpected way, only as myself. (laughs) 
So Other Grace says, in addition to being a truly lovable, funny, and interesting character, Luxwana brought out the best in every actor she worked with on track. Some of the best scenes with Picard, Worf, Troy, and Odo featured her. That's true. We went back a few times saying that she had some excellent chemistry with other actors and really highlighted their skills by being there. We had a comment from Naomi that said, I loved how she refused to go quietly into her quote-unquote golden years like society says we are supposed to and instead stayed loud, strong, colorful, and opinionated. I love that she remains sexually active and flirtatious as an older woman, turning that stereotype of aging women on its head to. Here, here. We had a comment from Beverly who said, I loved her so much. She was my favorite character and she reminded me of my grandmother. My granny loved bright colors, gaudy jewelry, and she was confident. She was motherly, but not in the same way other grandmothers are. She was fabulous and gave great advice. I think the episode I love the most is the one where she's stolen by the Frangie and Picard quotes Shakespeare to help get her back. It is truly a beloved scene. And finally, we've got a comment from Nina saying, I love that she's unabashedly loud and talkative. She walks around with a sort of dramatic grandeur to her. She's theatrical, has a big personality, and takes up space. I see myself in that. And until Lexwana, I never saw that part of myself represented in Woman on Screen. Seeing Lexwana told me it was okay to be a woman and take up space. Word. Which is definitely a big part of why we like this character. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of comments, um, which was awesome. So thank you very much to everyone who re- responded. Yes. Now, do we have any final final words or final thoughts we want to share on this character? Go forth and enjoy enjoyment. Yeah. Wear your biggest and brightest wigs and brag about that jar you have full of mold. Because it's <laughs> yours. And you're worth it. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up for us for this episode. Jarrah, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And Andy, where can people find you? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek. You can find us on Twitter at Women at Warp. You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes. What else am I missing here? Facebook, our website, womenatwarp.com. You can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Basically, anywhere you get podcasts, uh, Instagram, just like look up Women at Warp, you'll find us wherever you are. Google us, you'll find us eventually. Yeah, GPS us. I don't know where that'll take you, but you could try it. That will take you to Womanamup Warp, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> the weather isn't great, but I would highly recommend the chowder. <laughs> and I'm Grace, and you can find me at Jank on Twitter and in your nightmares. And for more for the Roddenberry Podcast Network, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And see.